What's up, you beautiful bastards? Hope you have a fantastic Monday. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show, and let's just jump into it. And the first thing we're gonna talk about today is some quickie industry slash social media news. First up, we saw K-pop continuing its domination of online records. We saw the four-girl group Blackpink break multiple records with the release of their music video, Kill This Love. They released the video this Friday via YouTube Premiere, which if you're not familiar, is a YouTube feature that allows essentially a live stream to occur when someone posts a video. So a ton of people get to experience it first together, and then it reverts to a regular video on demand. And according to YouTube in the first 24 hours it received 56.7 million views which took the crown from Ariana Grande's Thank You Next which had 55.4 million views in the first 24 hours. And reportedly Kill This Love became the fastest video to get 100 million views. Reportedly only taking two days, 14 hours, beating out size gentlemen. Then if you ever wondered, do people still use Netflix's DVD service? The answer according to new reports is yes although it is small, coming in at only 1.34% of Netflix's revenue but given how large Netflix is that's still $212 million from 2.7 million subscribers. Although I will say when looking at the numbers and the reporting, it does seem like they are kind of winding this business down. And one of the most pivotal of those numbers being the number of disc distribution centers. At one time they had 50, in 2015 they had 33, and according to Netflix, they now have around 17. And the last bit of industry news is not a positive. Explicit nude photos of actress Amanda Seyfried resurfaced on social media over the weekend. I say resurfaced because Seyfried was one of the several stars with personal photos stolen and released without their consent back in 2017. That leak, as you might remember, was dubbed the Fappening 2.0. The leaked photos reportedly showed Seafried in a sex act with her then boyfriend, which of course, as we talked about in previous coverage, Seafried and others took legal action to fight against the invasion of privacy. But of course, those photos have been lingering for years. And for whatever reason, this past weekend, they popped back up. You had Twitter users kind of making jokes about it. But at the same time, you also saw outraged fans reminding users that this is a huge invasion of privacy. And so then the articles popped up around it, thus further propelling the story. And as far as my personal reaction to the story, I mean, it's a little bit layered. One, I think it's odd that these photos resurface since the internet's the internet. The, the, the photos were out there, they will always exist. Right? It's just a matter of how will people find them, where are people keeping it, the legal situation. I will personally advise for you to not seek these out. I will personally advise for you to not host or share them. It is a massive invasion of privacy. On the other hand, I'm almost, and I'm preemptively adding an asterisk to this, I'm almost pleasantly surprised with the positive reactions to people seeing the photos, people seemingly praising her rather than slut shaming her. Except, here's why I added the asterisk, because of course she did not release this photo. You can say iconic or goals, but she's still the victim in this situation. But then to add to that note, I was happy to see the number of people defending her and telling people to remove this shit. There will still always be people that shame the victims in these situations. People saying, well, if you didn't want everyone to see it, you shouldn't have done something privately. Which I personally believe is a little bit similar to blaming the victim because maybe they left their door unlocked or there wasn't a lot of security. They decided to buy things that thieves would obviously want. But at least from what I see with this situation, it seems like there has been a shift since 2014. But that said, that's a story my personal takeaway, and I pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts? Then, of course, we should talk about how on Sunday, President Trump announced that Kirsten Nielsen, the Secretary of Homeland Security, is leaving her position following a private meeting between the two of them. Nielsen tweeted out yesterday saying, it's been an honor of a lifetime to serve with the brave men and women of DHS.gov. I cannot be prouder of and more humbled by their service, dedication, and commitment to keep our country safe from all threats and hazards. And regarding this private meeting, reportedly some sources close to Nielsen say that she requested the meeting to plan a way forward and came in prepared with a plan to improve her relationship with the president. And this is because, reportedly in recent weeks, they had clashed over what to do with the southern border as Trump threatened to close it completely, which Nielsen reportedly found ineffective. And according to reports, Trump has long viewed her as weak on immigration. And at the same time, you had other sources saying that she was struggling with the lack of cooperation from other departments to help with the immigration situation at the border. In addition to the previously mentioned issues, Nielsen was also close to former White House Chief of Staff John Kelly, and reportedly that caused him distrust. Now, officially, it's unclear if her departure is voluntary or if she was pressured to resign, but according to an unnamed senior White House official, this is part of an overall 
overhaul of DHS. Last week, Trump actually withdrew his nominee for ICE Director Ron Vitello, saying that he wanted to go in a tougher direction. And in fact, there are now reports coming out that the Secret Service Director Randolph Tex Alice has been asked to step down. And according to some sources, these will not be the last ones to step down for this restructuring. Now, as far as what happens next after Nielsen exits, Kevin McAleen and the current U.S. Customs and Border Protection Commissioner will be acting secretary. But as of right now, it is unclear if he's expected to hold this position in the long term or just until a replacement can be nominated. Also, the situation has created questions about whether the Undersecretary for Management, Claire Grady, who is next in line to be acting secretary, will have to be removed in order for Michalina to take over. Because right now, reportedly, Grady has said that she has no intention of resigning. So that's where we are right now as far as updates around personnel, the administration, and as far as the southern border, we saw Donald Trump again tweet last night a threat to close the southern border. Tweeting more apprehensions, captures at the southern border than in many years. Border patrol is amazing. Country is full. System has been broken for many years. Democrats in Congress must agree to fix loopholes. No open borders, crimes and drugs. We'll close southern border if necessary. But as far as what will actually happen, we gotta wait to see. You know, we had Trump about over a week ago saying essentially Mexico needs to stop illegal immigration or shutting the border. Then when he talked about it last Thursday, he talked about a one-year warning and auto tariffs. And now we're seemingly here again, so we're gonna have to watch. And then let's talk about updates around the situation in Canada. Now we talked about this last month. I'll link to the previous coverage below, but here's a quick TLDR. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has been involved in a corruption scandal that claims that his office attempted to settle a criminal case against SNC-Lavalin, which is a huge engineering and construction firm based in Canada. And the criminal case against SNC claims that the company paid millions millions and bribes to officials in Libya in order to secure lucrative contracts between 2001 and 2011. Notably, this includes millions of dollars to the regime of Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi. So, when Trudeau and the Liberal Party took office in 2015, his Justice Minister and Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould was given oversight of the case against SNC. But in January, Trudeau reassigned Wilson-Raybould to the Veteran Affairs Department, which was seen by many as a major demotion. Then, on February 7th, the Globe and Mail published an investigative report claiming that Trudeau and his aides had tried to direct Wilson-Raybould's handling of the SNC case. And what we ended up seeing was that she resigned less than a week after the story was published, and shortly after that, she testified before a parliamentary committee and claimed that Trudeau and his aides had pressured her to settle the case by using political interference and veiled threats. Notably, she said that what they did was not illegal, but that it crossed informal lines intended to keep politics and criminal prosecutions separate. Following Wilson-Raybould's testimony, Treasury Board President Jane Philpott resigned from her post, saying in a resignation letter that she had lost all confidence in the government. Also, something that is important to note here is that while these women both stepped down from their cabinet positions, they are still members of the Canadian Parliament, and this is because cabinet members are usually chosen from Parliament, and those members continue to serve while they are on the cabinet. Now, with all of that said, in response to all of this, we've seen members of the opposition party calling for Trudeau to step down, but Trudeau, for his part, has continually denied any wrongdoing and has said that he has taken these concerns very seriously. And it's been very interesting to see what has been happening, how is he doing damage control, because he is facing federal elections in October. So that's kind of the oversimplified summary, but the reason we're talking about this are the major updates we saw last week. On Tuesday, Trudeau expelled Wilson-Raybould and Philpott from the Liberal Party and banned them from running for the party in the federal election in October saying in a press conference. The trust that previously existed between these two individuals and our team has been broken. It's become clear that Ms. Wilson-Raybould and Dr. Philpott can no longer remain part of our liberal team. And Trudeau's decision comes as parliamentarians have been recently pushing him to remove both women from the caucus on the grounds that they were undermining party unity. And so this decision wasn't completely out of the blue. For example, about two weeks ago, Wilson-Raybould publicly released a secret recording of a phone call she had in December with Canada's clerk of the Privy Council, Michael Wernick, who was Canada's top civil servant. In that phone call, she told Wernick that Trudeau was on dangerous ground. And this came after Wernick announced that he was going to step down from his position before the election. Also regarding Jane Philpott, in addition to continually supporting Wilson-Raybould, she ended up angering members of the Liberal Party after she gave an interview 
interview with McLean's on March 21st, where she said, there's much more to the story that should be told. I believe the former attorney general has further points to make. I believe that I have further issues of concern that I'm not free to share. So what does all of this mean? Well, both women can still run for re-election, but they would have to do that under a different party, which as of now, neither has said that they are going to take that route. Although as far as responses are concerned, Wilson Rabel did respond to Trudeau's move to expel her in a series of tweets on Tuesday, writing, I have no regrets. I spoke the truth as I will continue to do. And in a letter to the Liberal Party, Wilson Raybould wrote, I am angry, hurt, and frustrated because I feel and believe I was upholding the values that we all committed to. In giving the advice I did, and taking the steps I did, I was trying to help protect the Prime Minister and the government from a horrible mess. I am not the one who tried to interfere in sensitive proceedings. Philpott also responded to her expulsion in a Facebook post writing, It appears that the caucus is intent on staying the current course, regardless of its short-term and long-term consequences to the party and to the country. And it has been decided there is no place for me in the caucus. And while Trudeau's move to expel both of these women may have come from internal pressures inside the party, right, this election's getting closer and closer, th this kind of action is largely unprecedented in Canadian politics. According to Chris Cochran, a professor of politics at the University of Toronto, there's been resignations on disagreements to government policy, there's been resignations relating to scandal. There's never been two resignations in recent memory of people resigning on principle together. And the professor also said that Wilson Raybould and Phil Potts' ejections especially come as a shock because they represent a change of course for Trudeau, who has continually said that liberals needed strong legislators with different points of view, and who also campaigned on transparency and government accountability. We've also seen Trudeau being criticized because he's been championed in the past as a self-described feminist, a supporter of indigenous rights, but now his opponents have used this incident to portray him as a leader who directed aides to bully Wilson Raybould, an indigenous woman, in order to protect a corporation from a criminal conviction in a corruption case. But this Canadian chaos and drama doesn't end there. On Sunday, conservative leader Andrew Scheer released a letter he received from Trudeau's lawyer on March 31st, threatening to sue him for a libel. In the letter, Trudeau's attorney writes that a statement made by Scheer on March 29th that he posted on Facebook and Twitter regarding Wilson Raybould and the SNC case was, quote, beyond the pale of fair debate and libelous, with a lawyer also saying that the statement contained highly defamatory comments about Prime Minister Trudeau. And the letter concludes that it should be taken as a notice for any subsequent action. We saw Scheer respond to the letter in a tweet writing, I stand by every single criticism I have made of Justin Trudeau's behavior in the scandal. If Trudeau intends to sue me, if he believes he has a case against me, he should get on with it. And that tweet also included a letter from Scheer's own lawyer, which called the libel claim completely without merit and claimed Scheer was performing his constitutional duty to hold the Prime Minister and his government to account. Scheer also later tweeted, Why do I welcome Justin Trudeau's lawsuit? One, because he will finally be forced to testify under oath. Two, he will not be able to shut down the proceedings like he has in Parliament. Canadians will finally get the answers they deserve. Now as to whether or not Trudeau will actually move ahead with the lawsuit, it's yet to be seen. We've got corruption allegations and resignations and expulsions and libel lawsuits all leading up to an October election. It is going to be a fascinating one to watch. But of course, with all of that said, that's a story and I pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts around all of this? And that's where we're going to end today's show. Remember, if you like this video, you wanna support this show, hit that like button. Also, if you're new here, you want more of these daily dives into the news, hit subscribe. Also, in the note of not missing out, if you missed the last Philip DeFranco show, the last morning deep dive you wanna catch up, you can click or tap right there to watch that. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.